Good morning. This morning's Bible reading comes from Exodus, chapter 2, starting from verse 11 to 25. Verse 11. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched him at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Glancing this way and that, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out, and he saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, Why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, What I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water from the, to fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. When the girls returned to Raul, their father, he asked them, Why have you returned so early today? They answered, An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he? He asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershon, saying, I have become an alien in a foreign land. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and they cried for help because of their slavery, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked down on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Good morning, Penny Hills Baptist. Good morning. Who's a father here, by the way? Put your hand up for your father. Put your hand up. Everyone give him a cheer. Come on, give him a cheer. Good work, fathers. Good work, fathers. We love fathers. And it's, it's the great thing about Father's Day, uh, not only is it fun, it's great for us, but we kind of reflect on our Father, Heavenly Father, right? Because when we think about God and who He is and what a perfect Father He is, uh, that's who we all want to model ourselves on. All the dads want to be that. Uh, and we hope that, and I, my prayer is that the fathers in this congregation, that their fatherhood reflects what God does as a father uh, to all of us. Um, well, good morning, and we are here and ready to get into God's Word. Who's looking forward to getting into God's Word this morning? Come on, let me hear it again. Who wants to hear God speak this morning? Absolutely. You see, when we open up God's Word, we expect Him to speak, yes? That's what we're going to do. Like, what a, I just, what a privilege. I just can't get over the fact that we open up this book Like the same God who spoke and stars went, boom, let's exist. You know? 
the same God that spoke and brought the world into being, he's the same one who breathes out his words onto the page in the book in your, on your laps. And we're just going to open it and read it, just like that. Extraordinary stuff. So I, I, I pray that God uses us this morning and to, to, to become more like him. Who was here when I spoke last? I'm not sure if you remember. I spoke a little while ago on Exodus. Anyone remember being here? So what I did was I spoke on the story of Moses. Uh, and you'll remember we kind of entered in a really uh, hard time in the life of Israel. There was oppression. You may remember we talked about salvation that happened through a little basket. You remember? Also known as an ark. You remember this? Uh, God's saving hand was there. And now what we're going to see is what happens next in this story. Um, and I'm going to keep, each time I preach, I'm just going to keep pushing ourselves along through the book of Exodus. So when we pray, let's ask God to speak to us. Let's come with expectant hearts. If you are someone here today who expects God to speak, I'm going to give you a few seconds just to ask God to speak to you now, and then I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you for your word. You are so good and so kind to us. I pray, Father, that in every bit of this next time we have together with with your word open on our laps, that you would speak to us. I ask, please, that you would give me words that are from you. I pray that you'll help us to see life and see the world through your lens through your eyes. Father, I pray boldly that no one will leave here today the same as they came in. I pray that as they leave, we pray with expectancy that as we each leave here, we will come away knowing you more and being more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Who's ever experienced jet lag? Anyone? Hands up. Jet lag. I mean, who hates jet lag? Hands up. This is a painful feeling. And you know the feeling when you travel time zones and your body just gets messed up, right? And you're like, where am I? Why am I eating breakfast at dinner time? You know, like, how does that work? And you know how it works when you go across these time Time zones mess me up. I don't even understand time zones, right? Like, I don't quite get how it all works. But what happens is, as you know, when you travel in a different space, your body gets messed up and you are on different clocks. And you have like the, you know, the, the bit where, you, where you've got like different world clocks and you know what time it is right now in a different country. You know, when you get a jet lag, there's different uh, ways of getting around jet lag. There's different ways of different theories. People say, you know, you drink lots of coffee. That doesn't work generally. Uh, uh, there's lots of different things you can do. Now, recently in, in my kind of new job of going around and preaching, one of the things that's happening that I'm having to get used to is traveling. And so sometimes we're kind of in different time zones. And recently, Naomi and I were over in Perth. And uh, Perth isn't too bad, right? Like, it's only a few hours, really. At the same time, right, a few hours is just enough sometimes to knock you around, right? You know, it's just weird. It's like, I'm like, why is it only three hours different and I'm feeling, like, very confused right now? Why is that the problem? So what happened is on the way back, I remember Naomi, she, she's like a, she's militant to travel with, man. I'll tell you, my wife, man, she's full on. She like, she's like, we're going to get back on Sydney time now. I'm like, we're only, like, we're two days out from leaving, right? And she's like, we're going to get back on Sydney time. And so what Naomi says, to me, right, it's the night before, we go going to bed, she's like, she sets the alarm, she says, we set an alarm on Sydney time, I'm like, wait, what? I just didn't hear about it, I'm tired, went to sleep. Next morning, 
you know, like three, like normally like in Australia, like you're waking up at like what, 7.30 or something, you know, what's that, three hours before 7.30, what's it, yeah, right, and so alarm goes off, Name is like, great, we're going to the gym, and I'm like, it's dark, you know, why are we doing this, this is ridiculous, beep, 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 she's like, I'm like, my, my wife is torturing me, like, this is crazy, and she's like, we've got to get on Sydney time, and so off we go, right, I'm like walking to the gym, and I can't even see what's going on, right, and like, we're over there, and just to, all the way to adjust, you see, what happens is, sometimes you are in a different time zone, and you need to live on a different time zone, and that's the whole point of jet lag, you get back, and you're like, where am I, what is happening, and I want to ask you what it's like with you, with life, because what time zone are you on? You see, all of us are in our own time zones, that is, we all set ourselves a, a, a time, and we think time is in our hands, and we go through life like that, but what if God looks at our time, and what if God says, actually, I'm looking at time totally different for you, from you? What does it look like to see the world, to adjust your clock to God's clock? What does it look like to look at his world, to look at your life and to look through that and go, actually, what does God see? For me, I see linear. I see this is happening, this is happening next week, this is happening next month. Right? What if God looks at that and goes, actually, no. I'm looking at things in a different kind of way. Put your hand up if you reckon you're an impatient person. Come on, just be bold, be bold, be bold, be bold, be bold. Impatient person, all right? All right, all right. You were the guys driving behind me on the way here. No, no. <laughs> See, here's the thing, right? When it comes to patience and God's timing, there's a lot to think about. You know, when I think about the Exodus, I'm, I'm sorry, right? I don't understand the timing. Like, I'm a pretty kind of live-in-the-moment kind of guy, right? I love living in the moment. When I look at Exodus, like, when, you know, the, when the Israelites are walking through the desert, right? How long? How long? How many? 40 years, right? Just get your head around that. Like, I don't even understand that. It's like, okay, guys, we're going to the promised land. Well, not next, not next week. Maybe how about next year? That's a long time. Not next. How about 40 years, right? That's a long time. Like, on the count of three, I want everyone to yell out how old they'll be in 40 years' time from now. Ready? Ready? Come on, ready? On the count of three. Ready? One, two, three, go. <laughs> I'm pretty sure a few people said well over 110 or 100. That's great. Give them a clap, by the way. That's right. That's great. So in 40 years, it's amazing. John McIndoe will only be about five or something like that. No. What's the go, right? Here it is. When you think about that time, you think that's ages. That's ridiculous. Like, I can't even... What am I in 40? 40, 40, 40 I'm 76, right? I'm going to be a grandpa walking around, right? And Ironside's like, let's go. Get ready, right? So here's the thing. What happens when you're that age? You think that. You think that's crazy. That is so far away. That's how long the Israelites just walking around. Like, and God sees that and goes, okay, you, they're going, 40 years, I'm dying here, I'm hungry. God says, I've got another plan. You're not on your schedule. You're on my schedule. How about Moses? Come on. I mean, how about Moses? This guy's a leader. I mean, he's like a really big time leader, right? Moses is a leader, right? If there's a leader in the Bible, it's Moses. I'll tell you what, right? This guy, if you want to kind of understand it, listen to this. Here's one way to put it. So, if, if you consider his ministry to the Israelites being 40 years leading them through the desert, through the Exodus, let me tell you how he prepared for that ministry. If he did, he did 40 years in Egypt, and then he did 40 years in a desert before the burning bush. That means he did two years of preparation for every one year of ministry. 
Right? For every one year of leading the Israelites around, Moses was living for two years. This is a long, long time. But it's even longer if it's not just when you're having a good time. How, particularly you people who are not as patient, but all of us, when we're having a hard time, when we're having a really rough time, when God has dealt us in his grace and his mercy a tough time, when we've had a trial, doesn't time just seem to go slow? Like when, you know, when things, when you're having fun, it's like, oh, why the time run up? When things are going hard, it's like, when does this end? Maybe like tomorrow, I've been going all of three days having this hard time. And what happens when things are going hard, when things are slow? You know, for, for Moses, you've got to understand, as John kind of stole my sermon earlier this morning by introducing it, it's Moses had a time of suffering here. He had a really hard time. Let me help you understand where Moses was at. Moses, at this point in the story, after we've read, heard, heard the Bible reading, wonderfully read by the best Bible reader in the church, right, at the end of that Bible reading, do you know where Moses is at? Moses is a failure as a deliverer of his people. You understand that? He tried to, to, to deliver the people right, and got rejected by his people. Failure. Fail. Right? Fail. He's a failure as a citizen of Egypt. He's unwelcome then by the Egyptians and the Israelites. He's unwelcome by all nations. By the end of it, he's a wanted man on the run. He's a fugitive. He's a resident of an obscure place, being brought into a family with an obscure, different religion, which is where, where he lives now. You've got to understand where Moses has gone. He's gone from top to bottom. <laughs> Sometimes we forget where Moses was at. Moses was brought up by who? Someone tell me, go. Who? The most powerful man in the universe at that time. So Moses is big shot. He's like Prince of Egypt, which is the cartoon, as you know. It's, quite, it's got some truth in it a little bit, right? He's the Prince of Egypt. It, history tells us, as we look in traditions, that Moses probably led armies and led wars, right? He moves from that, and now he's rejected and he's a shepherd in a desert. Do you know how long for again? 40 years. You've got to understand, this guy's gone from top to bottom. What are you going to do when life moves like that? I mean, even look, have a look at the verses. You know, between verse 10, where we left off last time, remember the Pharaoh's daughter went over, she drew Moses out of the water, she, said, she named him Moses. Between verse 10 and verse 11, years later, right, 40 years have passed. Sometimes we read the Bible like an action novel. We kind of just read it, oh yeah, yeah years later. 40 years just jumped. By the end of this chapter, you've gone from a baby to Moses having a baby. You've gone from Moses being a prince to being a shepherd. You've gone from Moses being a foreigner in a palace to being a foreigner on a farm. And what we do next is we read uh, the, 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 the story unfold. Have a look at this, verse 12. I know, verse 11. Years later, after Moses had grown up, he went out to his own people and he observed their forced labor. So he sees them and he says this. He saw an Egyptian, sorry, beating a Hebrew, one of his people. And looking all around and seeing no one, he struck the Egyptian dead and hid him in the sand. It's interesting, I'm just trying to analyze what's going on here. I'm not sure if you've ever thought about it. what's going on for Moses as he's there in this moment and he sees his... But why does he even do anything? I mean, sometimes we wonder, like, does Moses even know who he is? Why would he do that? Why would he move and try and do that? I actually think Moses uh, 
thought he had some leadership role to play over his people already. In fact, just so you know, it's not just me thinking that. If you want proof on that, Acts chapter 7, verse 25, look it up later if you want, will indicate that Moses saw his people and he recognised them as his people and he wanted to have some leadership role in taking them out. And so what happens is you get this fascinating verse. You know, if you want to kind of go a little bit deep on Exodus kind of theology here, do you know there's so many cool bits in Exodus, so many cool bits, where... uh, you know, Mo, when Moses grew up, he went out. You know the word, the Hebrew word for he went out. You know what the Hebrew word for it is? Exodus is the word. Went out. That is, what you're seeing here is a little mini Exodus. Moses goes out and what he does is he strikes. Which is all that, that word strike is a very important word in Exodus. Anyone picture any places where, where we can hear the word strike? God struck the Egyptians. He struck the Egyptians over and over and over. God will strike the Egyptians. What we see there in this little picture is like a mini exodus. And so what you might want to say is this. Moses is trying to do the right thing. Moses is doing the right thing, but he's doing it in the wrong timing. Got it? So that is, he's trying to make this thing happen. He's trying to do this, but he does it in the wrong timing. The issue for Moses is this, that he had no authority. No authority. This is why Moses went and took the body, hid in the sand. He went and did that because he was scared. When did Moses actually get the authority to actually lead his people? When was it? Not to the burning bush, which is going to come up in the next passage. See, so many times we are so much like Moses. We may have the right idea even. We might be able to even say, you know what, this seems like a right thing to do. This seems like the kind of thing that might please God. But what we do is we go and do it and we say, we take the one extra step which is this. I want to do this and this plan seems right and my heart seems to be like wanting to honour God and glorify God in that. But God says, but we take that extra step which is the fatal step which we say, as long as it happens in this time. And then we put the time frame on it. And God says no. And that's what, exactly what Moses did. Moses was exactly here. He said, I'm going to go and do this. But God says no, not in the right timing. Not the right timing. And not without my authority. And so what he has see happen in verse 13 is really a horrible moment for Moses because the next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting and he asked the one in the wrong, why are you attacking your neighbour? And can you imagine Moses' moment? He thought no one saw him. No one saw him. And then that moment when the Hebrew man turns to Moses and he says this, Who made you leader and judge over us? Are you planning to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? And Moses is like, he knows. He knows. You see, that question there is potent. It's a potent moment. He says he knows that Moses struck Egyptian, that he struck beyond God's authority, that he struck not in God's timing. By the way, Moses ever done that before? Does Moses ever do that again? Strike something that he ought not to? When? A rock. You see, Moses doesn't, Moses learns a lot. Bad habits die, die hard. And so what happens is this that question, I believe, cuts very, very deep. That question when the person goes up to Moses and he says, who are you? Do you have any authority anyway? How much do we act like that? How often do we get ourselves in situations, Pentehills Baptist, how often do we get ourselves in situations when we think that we are the master of our own time, of our own plans? The truth is, 
All of us do that. I do that all the time. I do that. You know, I knew a person who um, got into a place where, then, where before they got up every morning, it was an incredible thing for me to say. I said, before they got up every morning, they used to say, before my legs touched the floor, they made a rule, they would start the day by saying, God, whatever plans you have for me today, I want to walk in them. I'm ready to go. I'll tell you what I do when I get up, right? I get up and before my feet have touched the ground, I've thought about 14 things I'm going to do because I'm absolutely positive must happen today. What would it look like to be like that? To sort of get up and be so on God's timing, to be so ready to be and so alert to what God has for your plans for the day. Because Moses didn't do that at this point. And so Moses got himself into some significant trouble and what happened is he had to flee. He had to run. Pharaoh was after him. If you want to get really deep later, I don't have time for it, but in Exodus 21, verse 12 to 13, you see this really interesting law that comes up and it talks about this. If someone, it actually says the words, if someone strikes somebody, Exodus 21, verse 12 to 13, if someone strikes someone uh, and kills them but didn't intend to, what must happen? They must provide a safe place for them to flee to. I actually think that's what, a little picture of what's going on here. God is providing a safe place and he's saying, Moses, you need to come out of Egypt on my timing and wait for me. And then what happens next? Moses is out there and this is a great scene, man. I mean, in terms of Moses, the action figure, right? This is the scene, right? This is fun. Moses then goes to the desert and what happens? He goes there and he sees a, and, and there's a priest of Midian, right? Put your hand up if you've got one daughter. I'm very happy about having one daughter, all right? How about two daughters? Very, very lucky. Two, two, two. John McIndoe very carefully said, are you very happy about that? Don't answer the question. Okay, so, so two, <laughs> right, right? Uh, three daughters? No one's got three daughters, right? Oh, lovely. Congratulations. Give them a clap, man. That's impressive. Three daughters. Four daughters. No one's got four. Ironside. Look at him go. Proudly. Give Mr. Ironside a clap. He, four daughters and he survived and he's still, you know, vaguely okay, right? Five daughters, six, priest of Midian, seven daughters, seven daughters, lucky man, right, <laughs> lucky man, this man has a lot of daughters and what happens is these daughters go to the well, a lot happens in the Bible around wells by the way, if you ever look out for it, everything, everything happens around a well, which is not surprising, wells are a life source, they're a centre of society and agronomy, is that a big word, agronomy, anyway, agricultural society, right, uh, buy a well, now listen up, Anyone else, met a, uh, anyone else in the Bible that you know met a wife by a well? Come on, Old Testament scholars, what have we got? There's at least two in Genesis so far. Isaac, Jacob, pretty important characters, all met their wives by the well. Moses this time goes to going to happen. He's there and there are these shepherds there and these shepherds are really no good shepherds. When I mean no good, they are, these guys are slack. They wait for the girls to come. The girls do the hard work. So the girls are there filling up the wells. That is hard work, right? In that time, this is not like just press a button and fill me with filtered water, right? This is like, let's get the well up and these poor seven girls are there. Shepherds are sitting there watching them. Let's wait, let's wait, last bucket's full. Great, now we chase off, the, chase off the girls and they go and start attacking the girls so that they can take all the water that they've worked hard. This is an unfair fight, this is not right, right? Mr Ironside, not fair. If someone did that to your girls, what's happened, right? Right, Mr Ironside, yeah, you're right, right. right. See, see, here's the thing, right? And you wouldn't want to face an angry Mr Ironside, that guy's a ninja. So here, here we go, right? What would happen? And so Moses, the action, they did not realise they picked the wrong day to mess with these girls. 
they didn't realise an Egyptian-looking kind of man, who's pretty tired by this stage, just sitting by the side of the well, watching. And it wasn't just some random guy saying, hey, don't mess with these girls. He led armies. He's trained in, trained in Egyptian combat, right? So Moses comes up and he's like, watch out! No, maybe not, that's my, my version, right? I just want to imagine he does that. You know that great kung fu movie? He's like, wah, 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 right? He does like the matrix, he's frozen. The, you know, no. So what happens is he then kicks him out and he does that and what he gets out of it, he got ready, he gets a wife, right? And so what happens is the, the priest of Midian is like, get him back in here. He gives a wife to Moses uh, and then they have a son, and they name the son Gershom, which is a bit of a tough name, because it's like, why did he name him Gershom in verse 22? So every time he calls Gershom in for dinner, it's like, Gershom, it means I have become a stranger in a foreign land. <laughs> I mean, talk, I mean <laughs> don't call him like beautiful or blessing, you know? I mean, <laughs> come down for dinner, I've become a foreigner in a foreign land. I mean, like... I've become a stranger. I mean, this is the thing. And so every single day he calls Gershom down for dinner or whatever it is, he's reminded of something very important. You don't belong here. You don't belong here. You are not on your timing. You are not on your timing. This is not your plans. This is not your go. I'm in charge, says God. I'm totally in charge. And I think Moses is starting to learn. This is the cool bit in this this bit with the well. He doesn't kill him. He could. He's just proven he can with an Egyptian just like that. Moses has got the game. He can do that. He could have taken them all out. But he chases them away. He does the right thing, perhaps more now, in the right way, waiting a little bit more on God. How about you? Everyone touch your watch for a second if you've got a watch. If you don't, pretend you do. Ready? All right? What does it feel like to start adjusting your watch? I mean your body clock. I don't just mean your body clock. I mean your whole mindset alongside towards God's timing. If you're ready to do that, then you will understand today that to do so, you need to see the world through God's eyes and God's lens. I know, I know you may just, this may just not seem like a rocket science, but I want you to understand this. What does it look like to, the only way you can do this, I believe the only way you can jump this is, this is what is called eyes of faith. The only way you can do this is to stop looking at the world with your way and stand up and look at it God's way. Put your hand up if you're an Asian person here. Come on, where are my, where are my Asian brothers and sisters? Ready? Asians, ready, ready? Now, hands down, ready? Put your hand up if you're short-sighted. Ready? Okay, they're all the same hands went up. So, right. I don't know why God did this to the Asian race, but all of us are blind, right? I'll tell you why. I don't know why, actually. I have no idea. But anyway, that's another... Someone else tell me later. But here's the reason, right? Here's the thing. When it comes to short-sightedness, you know that feeling, right? When you're kind of waking up and it's blurry and your glasses come like, wow, I get it, right? Right? I was short-sighted. Ready? Right? Laser eye surgery. All right? Here we go. All right? And so what happened is I remember that feeling. It was really weird. After I had laser eye surgery and I was like, man, I can see. This is like amazing. Every night I would accidentally try and take my contact lenses off. Right? Because I'm so used to it. So I'd make, I don't have contact lenses, but I can brush my teeth. I'm tired. I'm kind of... I'm like... There's no contact lens in here. And what I do is I constantly kind of, kind of try and go back. I put my glasses back on. I'm like, what's going on? It's blurry. You see, to go into God's timing, you need eyesight like that. You need to stop looking at the world your way. And you'll be, have the habit of going back. You'll keep going, oh, but what about this? What about this? No, no, no. You've got to look at it this way. You've got to have a whole new way. And you know how you're going to look at it? I'll tell you. I'm going to give you five things. I'm going to go through them fast. And I want you to hear me 
all the way. These, you might, if, you're, if you're a note taker, you need to write these five words down or five phrases down because what you're going to see is you need to hang on to these five things to see this is what God is doing when you're having a hard time. Because what is God doing actually? If you've ever had a hard time, picture the hardest time you've had so far in life. For some of you, that'll be very intense. For some of you, maybe not so yet. Whatever it is, the hardest time you've had, what is God doing? I'll give you five. Ready? First one is this. What's he growing you? Five things he's growing you in. So he's going to grow you in five things. First thing he's going to do is this. Grow you in maturity. Everyone say the word maturity. Go. You see, maturity is like this. When hard times come, what God is doing, what God was doing with Moses, he's got a big job for Moses, right? Save the whole of God's people, right? Lead them through the exodus. To do so, Moses needs to be growing. He needs to mature. If you think I'm making this up, you know, it's really interesting. The whole context of the passage, even the whole Israelites need to mature. You know, in, you want to see something cool. I've been waiting to say this for a little while, right? Chap- I wanted to say it the other day in the last sermon, but I saved it for this. Ready? Chapter 1, verse uh, 7. In the Hebrew words here, in verse 7, it says this, but the Israelites were fruitful, increased rapidly, multiplied and became extremely numerous, so the land was filled with them. Do you know what the words are actually in the Hebrew? The words mimic what it looks like to grow up. It's a beautiful phrase. It says this, basically says, the Israelites were fertile, they crawled, they grew and became very strong. You with me? It's the picture of growing up. Who can remember that moment when you were a teenager and you had like a growth spurt? Right? I remember that for me. I was very short, little Asian person like all Asians mostly are. And so I was there and around the end of year, I think around, I think it was like just in year 11. It was really late. I was like, boom, man. I'm like, I was like this little miniature guy. I couldn't play basketball and suddenly I'm like, what's up? You know, like I'm trying. And you know, what happened was, you know, that, that moment of being stretched and growing, you know, when you stretch and grow, it's painful, right, sometimes, right? It's like, ah, right, I'm aching, it's hard. You know, the thing is, no one then says, oh, look, I just wish I didn't grow. The truth is this. People grow, and that whole picture of growing is what God is doing, what God is doing with you during a hard time is He's stretching you, He's growing you. You know, there's another picture of maturity when it comes to God and how he sees Israel. In Deuteronomy 32, verse 11, one of the most beautiful pictures of God's relationship to Israel is in there. And you may have heard this picture before, but maybe not what is going on. Chapter 32 of Deuteronomy, um, I'll tell you what it says in verse 11. God watches over his nest, that is Israel, watches over his nest like a what? Anyone know what type of bird? How many? What? What bird, sorry? Eagle, man, Maud Madison, on fire. Ready? Watches over his nest like an eagle and hovers over his young, spreading his wings, catches him and lifts him up with his talons. Do you know that eagles, what they do is, when their young are old enough and need to be pushed out of the nest, do you know what an eagle does? It's fascinating. An eagle waves their wings hovers over the nest and blows them out of the nest. An eagle, I'm like, what would you do that? Like, it's like a sick eagle, man. How's a sick eagle? No, the eagle does that because the eagle knows, I'm not going to have these you know, little chirping, chirping, food, food, food birds in my nest till they're teenagers and adults, right? Some of you guys, parents are like, I understand that feeling, right? Now, here's the thing. 
The eagle's doing that. The eagle hovers and over that and pushes their young out. Then out they come, catches them and teaches them to fly. You know what happens? That's what God's doing. God is hovering over Israel. He's hovering over Israel and he's blowing his wings and he's pushing them out. He's stretching them. He's growing them. You know the passages like in James chapter 1, verse 2 to 4, right? What does it say in James chapter 1, verse 2 to 4? Why don't I bookmark these things before I get up here? Hebrews, James, Hebrews, James, 1. What did I say? 1, 2 to 4. Consider it... What? Great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. But endurance must do its complete work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. First point is mature, maturing. When you are going through a hard time and you're there going, look, I just want this to finish, God say, uh-uh, uh-uh, listen, on my time scale, this is exactly where you need to be because you are going to be made more mature. Second point is this. You need to grow in, everyone say the word humility. Go. You know, for Moses, you've got to, I mean, come on. In terms of humbling, I've already told you, all right? In terms of pride, Moses thought he could do it himself. He could go down and he could fix this Egyptian problem. He's going to do it one person at a time if it means he has to kill each of them each time. And what he does is he takes matters in his own hands and he, what he did was he acted a bit like Pharaoh. Pharaoh thinks he's a god. In fact, in that time, Pharaoh was a god, was treated like a god. Moses says that he's kind of adopted too much of that culture. He's like, I can do that myself. And so he self-appointed himself a saviour, as a saviour. And what happened for Moses? How humbling must it have been? Do you know that to Egyptians? Do you know what's abhorrent to Egyptians? Um, there's actually a verse if you want to check it out. I'm not making all this stuff up. Genesis 46, verse 3, if you want. Do you know what's abhorrent to Egyptians? Shepherds. In chapter 46, verse 3 of Genesis, it says, Shepherds are abhorrent. That is, yuck. We don't talk to shepherds. Shepherds is like the lowest of the lowest of the low jobs. Moses, Prince of Egypt, shepherd. Not for two years, not for five years, but for 40 years. How old are you in 40 years again? Imagine right then, God says, I'm just going to keep you in this hard space till you're that age. And you're like, no, not fair. I could, I'll do a year for you, maybe two if you have to. Forty. Did it work? That's the question. Moses was pretty proud. Did it work? Did he get humble? in one of the most extraordinary verses in the Bible. I believe every verse in Scripture, so I'm going to take this legit. Ready? Numbers, chapter 12, verse 3. Let's see if he grew in humility by the end of this process. Moses was a very humble man, more humble than any man on the face of the earth. Are you a proud person? I struggle with pride. I've gone first, I've shared my heart. How are you? By that I mean, do you make the rules with your life? Do you say, do you act sometimes like you're a mini God? That is, I control my life, I control my world. Are you a proud person? Do you know what God does to proud people? James chapter 4, verse 6, he opposes them but he gives grace to the humble. 
He's growing you in maturity. He's growing you in humility. He's growing you in the third point, reliance. Everyone say reliance. Israel, in this painful place, turned their cries to God. Their cries ascended to God. And I think that's the right thing. At this point, when through hard times, when hard times happen, what happens is this. You are pushed, you are forced in the right way to rely not on yourself, but on the only one who controls all time, all space, all things. You rely on him. You know, a a great commentator said, the exodus, why did the exodus happen? He says this, the exodus did not come about simply because people were in trouble. I said, what's he going to say next? It was a result of prayer for rescue to the only one who could actually do something about it. You see, what God does is in hard times, he gets us to the place where we have no choice but to say, God, it's all up to you, I've got nothing else. This is all for you to solve. And in that moment is where God wants us. He wants us on our knees. He wants us to rely on him. And do you know what to rely on in particular? He wants us to rely on his promises. On his promises. Pick the, your favourite promise right now in your head of God that God's given. You got it? Hang on to it. Cling on to it. I'll tell you one of my one, right? Romans 8.28. What's it say, right? God, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Right? I look at that and I think, well, is that just sometimes, was that a nice inspirational verse? It's not a verse. It's not just an inspirational sentence. It's a promise. God says, in this time I'm working for your good and you hang on to that, you rely on his promises, you rely on him. Maturity, humility, reliance, fourth one. He wants you to grow in understanding that all glory belongs to God. Glory to God. Everyone say glory to God. You see, what it is is this. It's all of us at some point need to realise that all the glory belongs to God. If in their own strength the Israelites turned around and said, we're coming out of here, we're going to beat the Egyptians and get out, they wouldn't be able to glorify God. Moses wouldn't be able to honour God in what happens. You see, in a verse here, I'm just going to do this one very quickly. See, in Exodus 2, verse 23 to 25, the only bits I haven't read so far, look at this. It says, After a long time the king of Egypt died, the Israelites groaned because of their difficult labour. They cried out. Their cry for help ascended to who? To God because of the difficult labour. And verse 24, so what? God heard their groaning. Keep going. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac and David. God saw the Israelites. God took notice. God takes centre stage. When you're in a hard time, one of the reasons why you go through it is so that God can take centre stage. So God, you cannot rob God of his glory. Last point. Maturity, humility, reliance, God's glory. It's a deeper understanding that Jesus knows everything you're going through. Everyone say, Jesus knows. You see... You need to understand that Moses went through this place where he was so alienated that he was left aside 
And there's moments in times for us when we've got to the place where we say, how can this be? This storm is too much. This season of life is too hard. I can't understand this. I don't want to be like this. And Jesus in the scriptures, what we find, about, find out, of course, as you know, in Hebrews chapter 4 is this. He says, this, this, this verse is extraordinary. Seriously, it really is extraordinary. Jesus says, I understand your suffering. Jesus experienced our suffering in every way. And you think, no, he hasn't. He hasn't set, sat the HSC. <laughs> right? or he has, and you think, no, Jesus said, I know. I know what it's like to be tempted to live for that stuff. I know what it's like to be tempted to use my power for some other things. I know what it's tempted to appeal to the crowds. I know what it's like. And you think, oh, no, but, you know, my, I've just had a fight with my friend. My friend's not talking to me. And Jesus says, my disciples deserted me. And you say, well, I'm in pain, like I'm sick, and it's really hurting. And Jesus says, I got flogged, I got tortured, and I took death on a cross. I understand you. He's not saying, so there you go, I've got it more than you. He's saying, I'm there. I've been there and more. And I've been through all of that because I love you. Because I love you. And I've gone all the way to the cross because I love you. That's what the whole point of that beautiful hymn in Philippians chapter 2 is, where Jesus did not stay up in lofty places. Right? But he gave up. He made himself nothing. He emptied himself and he made himself nothing and became a servant, even to the point of death. I mean, there's some people here today who don't know that. Do you know that? There's some people in this room today who go, that's a nice thought, but I don't know this Jesus. I'm not connected to him. And you know what, Jesus? Jesus wants a relationship with you. He wants you today to come to him and say, all right, Jesus, I understand that you've taken my penalty, that you've died for me, that you've done all this, that you've lived your life and you've understood everything. I want access to that. I want to know you. If that's you, give your life to Jesus today. Just pray to him. Talk to him. Just do that. That's why you're here. I'd love to talk to you about that afterwards. But you need to know that Jesus knows. Have you ever been in the wilderness as I close? Have you ever been in the wilderness? Look here, guys. Is there any way in which you have had a season in life where you felt this is hard? I guarantee almost all of you have had it to varying degrees. Some of you, I understand, have it in, in ways that I don't even understand. You know? I'm not going to highlight people this morning as I walked in. You know, Mr. Barker, I've been seeing him for his whole life, my whole life, you know, and he's you know, shaking and struggling to sit there and I just think, I don't, I don't have any, as I look at that scene, I have no comprehension of what it looks like to be in that world, to understand that kind of pain and suffering. That's just one person. There's other people who here have lost family members. There's people here who are struggling with significant uh, depression. There's people here today who have really have felt like they've lost things. There's people here who are really struggling with their children as a parent. There's people here who have lost their jobs. What's it for you? And I want to ask you as you look at that situation, are you through those five things? Because that's how God sees it. And I'm not trying to belittle your pain. There's a place of pain and grief. This is another sermon. You know, Naomi and I uh, recently uh, have been through just a bit of a you know, rough time where we felt like we've kind of um, been in a time where we've experienced some pain and some hurt and some loss. It's been hard for us. And this kind of picture has been a massive thing. We've kind of got to a wonderful place where we've seen God's 
hand and, his, and we seeing what he's doing, like we're seeing God work and we're thinking, this is great. We kind of start to see what he's trying to do. We start to see the world through his lens. But, you know, I realize, um, and little guy's given me permission to say, talk about this. In fact, he asked me to talk about it, so I'll talk about it. Um, last night was a tough night for us. Uh, we uh, hung out with some friends, which are just lovely, lovely people, uh, who remind us of, I mean, but, but kind of remind us of another space in our life that was hard. And I didn't realise how much hard time, how much like a little seven-year-old can kind of understand. Like I just forget that, and I think, oh, they'll work it out when they're older. But we're on the way home. And Amy was in the car with um, Reuben, and. This is a really hard moment for us. Happy to share it because he said we could. Uh, Naomi um, was just having a normal chat, and our seven-year-old Reuben um, says he really misses um, his best friend at his last school that it was at. And we've had to, you know, move. We've moved like, you know, moved up here. We've moved out, and and he starts crying, and he's crying, and he's saying to Naomi, why can't I just go back? Why can't I go back? I want to go back. And he cries and he doesn't understand what's going on. And it was just this amazing moment for us to say to him and to be able to talk to him and say, you know what, even as a seven-year-old, here are five things that you can see is going on. For us to be able to sit there and say, look, I know this is very hard for you and I know it doesn't all make sense. But do you know that God is growing you up? Do you know that God is causing you to rely on him more? Do you know that Jesus feels everything you felt? When you have a hard time, maybe you're in it right now. Whose time are you on? You know, for us, we race through life. This is one of the markers of our generation. We rush fast. We want timelines done now. Finish the sentence for me. You know it. There's a great psalm and it says, in God's sight, a thousand years are like a day, right? A thousand years are like a day and you kind of get your head around it and go, a day, a thousand years, God is on a different timeline. He runs the world. And by the way, you know, someone who wrote that psalm must have had to really know what the timing was like and really understand God's timing. Because if you're going to say a line like that, you've got to realize that's a big line to claim. And to say that God, for, a, for him, a thousand years like a day. Who wrote that psalm, by the way? Anyone know? Moses. Because as Moses writes that line, he knows what it looks like to be humble. He knows what it looks like to be a dirty shepherd sitting there for 40 years. And he says, God, he praises God and he says, God, for you a thousand years is like a day. That's why he could write that psalm. Can you sing that psalm? Can you write that psalm? You see, when it comes to time, sometimes you do need to stop and you can, live, look, you can look with eyes of faith, but sometimes you look backwards. And you know what happens? You look backwards 
and you can see it in hindsight, as you know. Older people here, can you nod and tell me this is true? When you look backwards, right, and you've been through life, you sometimes can understand, not always even, right, but sometimes you can understand what happened and why it's gone. And you look at the puzzle in, in, in Exodus, and I got to share this with little Reuben, because he knows the Exodus story. He said, oh, I know about the Exodus story, so we're talking about it. And I said, do you know what? Did it look horrible and unfair that Israel was in Egypt? Like, yes. It's not fair, is it? Well, you know what? For Israel to grow and to multiply into a big nation, they went into the most fertile land in the world. You see, God brought them there to grow, otherwise they would have died from famine. And you think, why under oppression? Well, God needed to do that and then he needed to push them out as like an eagle pushed out young. And you think, Moses, why 40 years in Egypt? I mean, the guy was ripped out of his family, away from his people. He now is in Egypt. I mean, like, come on. And you look backwards and go, therefore he got his education. He was able to understand Egypt. He was able to be powerful in speech and action. So later on he can go and negotiate with the Pharaoh. You see? Can you see how suddenly you start looking at things with God's eyes? You look at the other way and you think, this is horrendous. How could Moses be there? But actually Moses learned the education. He learned the way to do it. And you think, hang on, 40 years in the desert, that's a bit too much. I mean, let's give him a little bit of time by the way of being a shepherd. 40 years and you look back and go this. I mean, do you think Moses needs to know how a desert works? Pretty intimately. He's going to lead people around for 40 years through a desert. He's going to know the geography, the water, where the mountains are, how it works. And you think, why a shepherd then? I mean, give him a bit of a nicer job. Well, the guy's going to be leading a flock who are pretty stubborn and sometimes a bit slow. They're a bit like sheep. You see how you can look at every situation in two different ways? I finish up by asking you, what world clock are you on? Whose timing are you on? Are you in a storm right now? If so, do you see God being Lord of all? Because I'm going to read you in a moment just the verse as I pray of a great song we're going to sing. When we sing it, I want to ask you, to can you sing this like a prayer to the Lord? Could you please bow your heads and close your eyes with me? And I'm going to use the words of this song. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame but a holy trust in Jesus' name. My hope is built on nothing less. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak, made strong in the Saviour's love. Through the storm, He is Lord, Lord of all. When darkness seems to hide His face, I rest on His unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. Christ alone, cornerstone, Weak made strong in the Saviour's love. Through the storm, He's Lord. Lord of all. Lord, no matter what storm people are in, no matter what storms ahead, no matter what storms we reflect on behind, we thank you that you are still remaining firmly seated on the throne. And you are Lord of all. Father, I pray that you would sow your work of maturity, humility, reliance, in our lives. Point us to your glory and help us to know that we have a Saviour who knows. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.